couple of things I just wanted to briefly mention. There's a flyer in your bulletin you see. In a couple of weeks, we're starting a new Sunday night study that deals with having a worldview. We all have one. But the question is, is our worldview biblical, Judeo-Christian? There's a link on this page you'll see, and there's a little test. Encourage everybody to, uh, to check that out. And if you do that little test... That first night, we're going to go over um, some of those scores. It's coming back to me, and we're going to discuss we as a church, you know, where our worldview stands, and then discuss ways of how to uh, deal with what our culture is facing. If you look, this is just the contents, and I'm not going to spend any time talking about this, but I just want you to see all the things that are being covered. The book was only written in March. And so I think it'll be a blessing for us. We guys, we need we need to connect with people. So it gives us a chance. One other thing that was shared with me that kind of shocked me. I had heard there was some kind of disturbance at Virginia High this week. I didn't know the depth of that. Here, there's a young man in the hospital um, as a result of bullying. And so we definitely need to remember he and his family. Kind of breaks my heart. Um, So I encourage you to open your Bibles to Jonah chapter 3. And every preacher loves to hear pages turning. Of course, now we might hear the electronic hum of phones. It's people uh, or tablets. But still to hear people opening to the Holy Scripture. Uh, chapter 3, verses 4 through 10, which is the end of the chapter. And I want to ask if you'll stand in our God's honor. On the first day Jonah started into the city, he proclaimed, Forty more days and Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast. And all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. You know all about, Lord, our hearts and our land and our need for you. Father, uh, we lift up this student from Virginia High, Lord, and his family. And Father, we need you, God. May you comfort that family and those people there, Lord, that community, Father. Um, Father, we need you. And uh, Father, as we look at Jonah this morning, God, we are reminded of what you can do, not what a preacher can do. And Father, I pray that you might glorify your name, Lord. We have sought to worship you. I I just pray that continues, Lord. Um, 
Father, may there be no hindrance to your word going out clearly. And that means the Holy Spirit must show up. So, Lord, we pray you'd fill me to the full. And we pray, Father, for each one here to be filled to the full, that we may be responding to the Spirit of God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Confession. Man, people are riddled with guilt. And there is a longing and there is a desire for many people to chronicle that guilt. Uh, There are websites where you can read way too much about what people have done. Uh, They may not sign it, but they'll give you too many details of their sin, what they feel guilty over. Um, And there are certainly other avenues to chronicle your guilt. But yet... To confess in the scriptures is not to chronicle our transgressions. It means to agree with God about them. There's a big difference. It's it's not just, you know, I got to get it out of my system. And share it with somebody. No, it's more than that. It's it's rather, I've got to agree with God about it. That is so critical. Um, There's a story of one guy that went to a psychiatrist and He said, I've been doing a lot of bad things, doctor. And the psychiatrist said to him, "Uh, so you you want me to strengthen your willpower? And he said, no, I want you to weaken my conscience. That is what is being faced. The good news is the Bible tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. For there is one mediator between God and man. The man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all people. We have a God who saw our need. He knows our guilt. And how did he deal with it? He gave himself as a ransom through Christ Jesus. I love uh, Ephesians 1, 7 and 8. As we read beautifully in the scriptures there. That in him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins. In accordance with. With the riches of God's grace. Lavished on us. In all wisdom and understanding. There is a a path to forgiveness. There is a way to deal with guilt. And it comes not with chronicling confession. It comes with agreeing with God. About our sin. And that brings us to Jonah's sermon. Man, uh, it's only eight words according to our text Here, uh, it tells us that as he preached, the message that Jonah gave out was 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. Now, there's some of you that said, why couldn't my preacher have gone to that seminary? An eight-word sermon. We'd be out of here. We'd go get our food. But but I want you to notice that this is really the main thought. This is what they call sermon in a sentence. Certainly there was more proclaimed as well. All you got to do is look at the next verse. It says the Ninevites believe God. Somewhere in there Jonah must have been telling them about God. Must have been telling them you've been wicked You deserve God's judgment. But let me tell you about a loving, merciful, forgiving God. You see, that that 
message had to be shared in the midst of Jonah's words. As he marched throughout that kingdom and as he clearly shared. And it says that they believed. Which means to confirm or support what was shared. Short message in words, powerful message when God gets a hold of it. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, uh, and we preachers love to quote him, Prince of Preachers and all of that. Got a great testimony. This guy, he dealt with guilt for a number of years. He heard about a famous preacher. He wanted to go hear him. Unfortunately, the Sunday that guy was supposed to speak came a blizzard. But he was determined. I got to hear this guy. So he set off in the blizzard. Finally, he gave up. Stopped at this little primitive Methodist chapel. And evidently, the few that were there were more committed than the preacher because the preacher didn't get there because of the snowstorm. So they all kind of looked at each other. Finally, a layman stood up and he went to the pulpit and he began to speak. Uh, Spurgeon has uh, words he remembered in there. He said, this layman said, My dear friends, this is a very simple text indeed. It says, Look! Now, looking don't take a great deal of pains. It ain't lifting your foot or your finger. It's just look. Well, a man needn't go to college to learn to look. You may be the biggest fool, and yet you can look. A man needn't be worth a thousand a year to be able to look. A lot more than that, hopefully, now. But uh, Anyone can look. Even a child can look. But then the text says, look unto me. Many on ye are looking to yourselves, but it's no use looking there. You'll never find any comfort in yourselves. Some look to God the Father, look to Him by and by. Jesus Christ says, look to me. Some on ye say, we must wait for the spirits of working. You have no business with that just now. Look to Christ. The text says, look to Christ. And then this old layman continued. He said, look unto me, I'm a sweating great drops of blood. Look unto me, I'm a hanging on the cross. Look unto me, I'm dead and buried. Look unto me, I rise again. Look unto me, I ascend to heaven. Look unto me, I'm a sitting at the Father's right hand. Oh, poor sinner, look unto me, look unto me. Spurgeon said after about ten minutes, this old fellow said about everything he knew to say. He said he thought he was about ready to quit and sit down when unexpectedly he points at Charles, who was sitting in the back of the church, and he said, his heart began to beat as that finger pointed at him and said, young man, you look miserable. And Spurgeon said, boy, he could read my mind. I felt miserable. And then he continued. He said, you look miserable and you always will be miserable. Miserable in life, miserable in death if you don't obey my text. But if you obey this moment, you will be saved. And Spurgeon said he lifted his hands as only a primitive Methodist Layman could and started a shout. You man, look to Jesus Christ. Look, look, look. You have nothing to do but to look and to live. Isn't that good? And I love Spurgeon's testimony. Listen to his testimony. Here's what he said. He said, I saw at once the way of salvation. I know not what else he said. I did not take much notice of it. I was so possessed with that one thought. Like as when the brazen serpent was lifted up. The people only looked and were healed. So it was with me. I had been waiting to do 50 things. But when I heard that word, look. What a charming word it seemed to me. Oh, I looked until I could 
almost have looked my eyes away there. And then the cloud was gone. The darkness rolled away. In that moment, I saw the sun and I could have risen with the most enthusiastic of them, of the precious blood of Christ and simple faith, which looks along to him. Oh, that somebody had told me this before. Trust Christ and you shall be saved. You see, those Ninevites, they they weren't so impressed with the pedigree of the prophet Jonah. It was the message. Jonah had basically said, look unto God. And you'll find that forgiveness that you so desperately need. They heard about the judgment. They heard about God's coming wrath. That God was tired of their wickedness. And he was going to destroy them. But praise be to God. They also heard, there's a way. Repent. Turn to me. Look unto to God. The very word repentance means to turn around. It involves a change of mind. The word that went out is, guys, we need to change. <laughs> we need to change our thinking. We need to change our actions. We need to go a different direction. Now, let's look at this. Proof of true confession. First, personal lives were radically changed. Look at Verses 5 and 6 of our text. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast. And all of them from the greatest to the least. Put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh. He rose from his throne. Took off his royal robes. Covered himself with sackcloth. And sat down in the dust. You see something happened. Inside the heart of that king. When he heard the message, he was confronted with his sin. He was confronted with his guilt. That he had broken God's heart. And that his life had had brought the wrath of God. We don't hear much of that stuff in our modern preaching. But the truth of the matter is, God is a holy God. And this king was broken about what he heard. It reached him. And and so he proclaimed a a fast and he, he put on sackcloth. Basically, it's like a burlap bag with goat hair we're talking itchy stuff you don't normally choose to wear for sure but it was a way to express to god of i'm miserable because now i see my sin before you a holy god and and i want to get as low as low can go i want to express to you i understand i have broken your heart i have sinned against you a holy God, it was a way of being humiliated, some way, some small way to express that that he gets it, that he sees his sin. Look at verse eight. I thought it was interesting here. He said. um, Also, in in verse eight, that let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. We're going to put those burlap bags on our animals. Well, this isn't about animals needing to repent and having souls. It's about everything that I have, everything that's precious to me. God, I, I want to show you that you mean more to me than even what I own, than, than, than what I possess. Lord, this is about you, and it is about seeing where I am before you, and it's an expression of that. Verse 7, it, it declares to us that, that he fasted. That he fasted. He went without food. He went without what was important to him. In just some way to express to God. I'm broken God. I am broken clearly 
before you. I need to get right. (laughs) This is where he was. He basically was declaring, I need to get right. The verse most all of us learn when we're little kids, if we go to Bible school, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not, what? Perish. But have everlasting life. God's love reaches out to the depths of despair and pulls us up. That's what the gospel is all about. You, you see, when Nicodemus came to Jesus at night, he came because he wanted to know, man, how can I, a messed up guy, even though I try to be holy, I know what I'm like. I know that I'm, a, I, I, I'm not perfect, as God demands. And so he came to Jesus, what do I do? Remember what he told him? He said, you must be born again. You must be born from above. You need a life that's above and beyond your life. That's what you need. And that's the context of, of, of what is shared. Secondly, the Ninevites' confession, it radically changed their behavior. Verses 7 and 8, we read about that change. He issued a proclamation by the decree of the king and his nobles. Do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call gently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. In other words, let there be a radical change in your life. Man, we're all pretty good talkers. We can usually spin it in a way to make ourselves look good or we make an effort at that. But true confession and true repentance comes not just with the change of what comes out of our mouth, but change of the way we live. Our daily lifestyle. Um, in our land, uh, there's a lot of Hate, a lot of, uh, not what I like. (laughs) So what do we do? You know, it's interesting. Uh, It's easy, the people that aren't like us, man, they start yelling at you, it's easy to yell back. But that's not what we need to do. You know, every year we, we have what we call a National Day of Prayer, where we pray. It seems like as the years go by, that's not real defined. Pray for our country. Pray for our political leaders. It's interesting. I started thinking about the Civil War. And I started thinking about the president back then, Abraham Lincoln. When there was issued that first proclamation of the National Day of Prayer. And so I looked it up and I found it. And uh, it was it was interesting. Uh, Senator James Harlan of Iowa was brokenhearted, and so he said, "We need to have a day of prayer for our nation." And so he spoke with Abraham Lincoln. Just a little side note: his daughter ended up marrying President Lincoln's son, so they're kin, kin through marriage. And so there came this proclamation. But it wasn't a proclamation like we hear today. Pray for our country. People of different faiths just keep our leaders in prayer. It went beyond that. 
This is March 2nd, 1863, and the resolution was adopted the next day on March 3rd, a month before the fast was to be observed. And I'll read to you the words just briefly here of the change that was prayed for, that, that, that was longed for in our land where there was separation and there was civil unrest. Whereas the Senate of the United States, devoutly recognizing the supreme authority and just government of Almighty God in all the affairs of men and of nations, has by resolution requested the President to designate and set apart a day of national prayer and humiliation. And whereas it is the duty of nations as well as of men to own their dependence upon the overruling power of God to confess their sins and transgressions in humble sorrow, yet with assured hope that genuine repentance will lead to mercy and pardon and to recognize the sublime truth announced in the Holy Scriptures and proven by all history that these nations only are blessed whose God is the Lord. And insomuch as we know that by his divine law, nations like individuals are subjected to punishments and chastisements in this world, may we not justly fear that the awful calamity of civil war, which now desolates the land, may be but a punishment inflicted upon us for our presumptuous sins to the needful end of our national reformation as a whole people. We have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We've been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth and power as no other nation's ever grown. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace. Too proud to pray to the God that made us. It behooves us then to humble ourselves before the offended power to confess our national sins and to pray for clemency and forgiveness. Now, therefore, in compliance with the request and fully concurring in the views of the Senate, I do by this my proclamation designate and set apart Thursday, the 30th day of April, 1863, as a day of national humiliation, fasting, and prayer. And I do hereby request all the people to abstain on that day from their ordinary secular pursuits and to unite at their places of public worship in their respective homes and keeping the day holy to the Lord and devoted to the humble discharge of religious duties proper to that solemn occasion. All this being done in sincerity and truth, let us then rest humbly in the hope authorized by the divine teachings that the united cry of the nation will be heard on high and answered with blessings, no less than the pardon of our national sins and the restoration of our now divided and suffering country to its former happy condition of unity and peace. In witness whereof I have hereunto set my hand and caused the seal of the United States to be affixed done at the city of Washington this 30th day of March in the year of our Lord 1863 and of the independence of the United States. There was an understanding. We are divided. We are fighting one another. And this is not just against one another. This is against God. There was an understanding. We need to repent. 
There was an understanding. We need to be honest about, about our sin, about where we are, and we need to be broken over it. Maybe they didn't put on sackcloth, but they prayed. They, they fasted, and they met together. Why? Because they understood the only way out was up. <laughs> the only way for there to be healing was repentance. Look at verses 9 and 10. Um, who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Who knows? In this case, we know. I love the next part. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. That's what we need today. What happened in Nineveh, we need here, don't we? And not just in our church, but in our community, in our state, and within our wonderful nation. Let me wrap this up in application. I doubt any faithful Jew had the Ninevites on their prayer list. Kind of like us, Kingsway. You know, I don't have any names of any ISIS terrorists on our prayer list. You know, that's just not the normal thing. They looked at these people and thought, they deserve it. Jonah felt that way. That, that was kind of his heart. But when we see what how God showed mercy and he had compassion, you know what it reminds us? Nobody's beyond the reach of God's mercy and forgiveness and grace. Nobody. Even me. And even you. Uh, I close with this. Evan Roberts, preacher God used in Wales in the early 1900s. He didn't know God was going to use him. He just got some youth together. It was a youth meeting. A group of teenagers in his house. And he shared a simple message with him. I, I have it in our outline here. Uh, as he preached to these young men, he, he had four points. Confess all known sin. Get rid of anything doubtful in your life. Be ready to obey the Holy Spirit instantly. And confess Jesus Christ. Publicly. And God showed up. Something happened in the hearts of those young people. They came back the next week. This time there were 60 of them. God was moving among them. And then it became evident. To heaven something's happening. And so he, he gathered some friends that were musicians. He said, this, this needs to be heard all over Wales. God is doing something. A year later, there were 100,000 people who had come into the kingdom of God. Was it because of Evan Roberts? No, it was because of the power of God. And the message that went out, it was that clear message of, of turn to God. And let Him work. Um. First, be honest before God. Agree with Him about your sin. Secondly, if there's something doubtful, man, don't hold on to it. Don't let it be an idol in your life. Thirdly, be ready to obey the Holy Spirit instantly. Become sensitive to the Spirit of God and His leading, His promptings, and follow Him. And then fourthly, man, just be ready to tell people why you are different 
Be ready to confess your faith in Jesus Christ and how he has rocked your world and changed everything in your life. That's when God began to move. I want to read. Uh, this is just a, one comment from that revival. Uh, it's a description. It says, uh, as people confessed their sin and pleaded for the controlling of the spirit of God, they did all they could to confess wrongdoings and to make restitution. Another proof of genuine repentance, by the way. This unexpectedly created severe problems for the shipyards along the coast of Wales. <laughs> Over the years, workers had pilfered all kinds of things. Everything from wheelbarrows to hammers had been stolen. However, as people sought to be right with God, they started to return what they had taken. With the result that soon the shipyards of Wales were overwhelmed with return property. There were such huge piles of return tools that several of the yards actually put up signs asking the men to stop. One sign read, if you've been led by God to return what you have stolen, please know that the management forgives you and wishes you to keep what you took. What a radical change of heart. What about us? I, I close this message with the truth of that message. Let's look at those four things once again as, as, as I close uh, Confess all known sin. Is there something God's dealing with you about? Are you willing to agree with him about it? Secondly, get rid of anything doubtful in your life. Is there something you're kind of playing with? Making excuses for? But you don't have a confidence that it's really from God? And it's really pleasing to God? Get rid of it. Third, be ready to obey the Holy Spirit instantly. Begin to cultivate a recognition of the prompting of the Spirit of God. And, and then fourthly, man, confess Jesus Christ publicly. We need to quit this idea of faith is to stay in the building. He is the hope of the world. He is the Savior. He is the light. He is my shield, my fortress, my deliverer. We need to let people know that. It's not enough for me just to tell you. Although it's a good thing to tell you. But we need to tell others. You know, let me. I said I was closing. You know, don't ever listen to a preacher when he says I'm closing. Okay, I'm closing. Um, sadly, though, less, even though there was this great revival in Nineveh, history records less than 100 years later, God's judgment would come upon Nineveh. There was a generation that repented. But somewhere along the line, the people went back to, and forgot God and went back to their sin. As someone has said, there's no such thing as grandchildren in the kingdom of God. All of us have to be honest before God to see where we are. We can't depend upon the faith of those who went before us. What about my faith? And that's the question. How is your faith? Is it in Christ? Because all of us, the truth from that, I think it was Isaiah 45, 22, where it said, Look unto me and be saved. Have you looked unto Christ? That's what is needed. Where it starts. 
We have an altar that's up. Maybe God's spoken to your heart. Come off. Maybe there's a decision that needs to be made. Man, we're just all about. We want the Holy Spirit to move. So let's pray and then let's respond to him. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for what you did at Nineveh. How you use that wacko little prophet, Jonah, Lord, to proclaim your word. And how you moved hearts. Father, move our hearts, Lord. Uh, do a work of God in this place and in, in, in each of us. For your awesome glory, Lord. May you have a freedom to speak and may we respond. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.